<sighs> well, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we are excited about the Advent series that does, of course, begin next Sunday, uh, where we will be taking a look at these four uh, characters in Luke chapters 1 and 2, uh, Mary, Zechariah, the shepherds, and then uh, Simeon in the temple. And so I just encourage you, as the video said, we encourage you to be part in that, take part in that, and invite a friend or a family member as well. Uh, thanks to Sean for producing that video, putting all that together, and dealing with the headache of me and Andre as we're just trying to throw our lines together uh, on the spot. So very, very appreciative. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. I trust that you had a good Thanksgiving. Yes? Excellent. We did as well. It was a wonderful time with uh, family and friends and just uh, uh, receiving and enjoying um, really the many blessings of God, right, that just come to us in so many different ways. So uh, really glad that you're here. I know that a number of us are traveling this weekend uh, so we're prayerful and mindful of them, too, but I'm glad that you're here and able to be uh, with us this morning. Will you please take your Bible and meet me in Psalm 127, Psalm 127. Today we, we do have the joy of dedicating two young children to the Lord. Jeremy and Aaron Gayton will present their son Benjamin, while Andrew and Sarah Brown bring their daughter Julie. Today is a very, uh, very uh, important, very special, very memorable day for the Brown and Gayton families, yet because child dedication occurs in the context of the church family, it's also a very special day for us as well uh, as we come together before the Lord, as we come before the Lord together uh, as a community for the cause of Christ. So, even if you're young or single or without children, or if your children are older and out of the home, I just want you to know that this morning's service still applies. And I've been praying for you, not only for these two families, the Browns and the Gatons, but for you also for the encouragement of your faith and for our collective dedication to God. Now, whenever I do uh, child dedication, I just want to briefly explain what it is and is not before we dive into the text. First, it is not salvific, which means it, is, it, it does not save. Children, like adults are saved from their sins to God solely on the basis of the love and grace of God through personal faith that, that trusts deeply in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though these two young ones will be dedicated today as an act of faith on their parents' part, we still long for both Benjamin and Julie to trust in the Lord on their own accord, right? This also means that dedication is not akin to baptism, for baptism is an expression of one's faith, an outward sign of what God has done in the heart. Instead, the word dedication speaks to 
devotion to a particular person or purpose. In other walks of life, we talk about being dedicated to work or school or the home or dedicated to music or art or athletics or dedicated to our spouse and our children and families. It all speaks to devotion. And in the same way, child dedication is the act of devoting our children to God and to the purposes of God. Pledging to parent them by faith in God. In fact, child dedication is in many ways more about dedicated parents than dedicated children. Parents who trust the Lord and therefore entrust their children to the Lord. And we have a wonderful Old Testament example of this in Hannah, who, upon presenting her son Samuel, said, I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And in the New Testament, we find that even Jesus, as an infant, was formally presented to God when Joseph and Mary went to the temple to entrust him to the Lord, as was the custom of the day. So both the Old and New Testament speak indirectly to child dedication, and I've chosen as our text today a passage, a psalm, that I believe just wonderfully captures the essence of it. And the overarching thought or theme could be put this way. Because it's the Lord who constructs and cares for the family. We can trust Him while teaching our children to do the same. Let's read this together, Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we share this morning, specifically for the time in your word, and even more specific for your word to us here in this psalm. And I would pray for everyone here that we would hear your voice, in fact, that you would enable our speaking and our hearing this morning, that you, O Holy Spirit, would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, that we would gladly welcome your word, your truth, your voice into our lives, and thus desire to go your way. We pray that you would smile, we trust and know that you are smiling upon our gathering and in particular this dedication service this morning. And so we just ask that these moments would be gladly received and 
wonderfully used by you to bring eternal fruit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm, Psalm 127, divides naturally into two parts. Verses 1 and 2 spur us to seek and trust the Lord. While verses 3 through 5 apply that truth to the family in particular. And the basic theme is that without the Lord's blessing, without the Lord's blessing, all human toil is worthless. It says in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Basically, it is vain to build our homes and our families without God. It is vain to build society because the family is the basic unit of society. It is vain to build society without God. Whatever success we may achieve along the way has no eternal value if our pursuits are devoid of the Lord. The builder must build, of course, and the watchmen must watch. But if they build or watch on their own apart from God, really, what's the use? Essentially, Solomon is asserting that we need God's help, that God knows we need His help, and that God does help as we seek His will. As any parent knows, parenting is just a continual exercise, this ongoing exercise of juggling, evaluating, prioritizing, competing desires. Everyone has an opinion for parents and child-rearing. And sometimes the hard work is ferreting through the many voices. When our oldest was just a baby 16 years ago, my wife was overwhelmed with opinions and expectations. You know, she read, like, she read all the what-to-do books, all the online resources. It was our first child, and she was trying so hard to follow the instruction of the so-called experts that she became consumed and exhausted with the A plus B equals C mentality when in fact parenting is not a one-size-fits-all endeavor. Just yesterday we were recounting those days and the breakthrough moment that came for us when we literally gathered the books. You'd have to be there. You would have been proud. When we literally gathered the books and walked them through the trash can and threw them all away. It was as if we had wiped the slate clean and the pressure of another's expectation was removed and we felt like we really, truly, for the first time, began to trust the Lord as parents. What does God want for parents? What does He want for our children? How has He created them and for what purpose? What is He doing in their lives specifically and with their souls? 
Jesus once said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's a question of priority and perspective. Will we live by an earthly perspective only, or will we align with a heavenly one? What if my child does grow up in the largest, nicest, cleanest home in the neighborhood, and our family is the most well-behaved and respectable? What if he has all he could want for? What if she is the next great athlete? And that's why we rearrange our entire lives around her sports schedule. What if our children do secure their dream jobs and surpass all our dreams for them? What if they gain all these things and more and grow to be successful in the world's eyes and seemingly have the world by the tail? What if all this comes true, but they don't know God and therefore forefoot their souls along the way? Will it be worth it then? And God's answer is a resounding no. For unless the Lord builds the house, we build in vain. What God is saying to us here is to put Him first, to seek Him first, and to help our children do the same, to trust the Lord in all things and help our children trust Him too. Our children need to see their mommies and daddies trusting God. This theme of trust continues in verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Simply put, it's vain to work our fingers to the bone with worry. Vanity. Now, parenting and worry go hand in hand. As if you can't have one without the other. We worry about the various stages of our children's lives. When they're little, we worry about basic things like eating and sleeping. Then we worry about developmental things like crawling and standing, walking and talking. We worry about if, whether or not their teeth are coming in straight and properly. And then if we're brushing their teeth well enough... At least I worry about that. We worry about screen time and play time and reading and educational time, just wanting to increase their capacity to learn. And as they grow, we worry about their relationships and friendships and social adjustments. They move into their teen years and we worry about cultural messages we don't approve of but can't control. We worry about driver's licenses and then about them driving after they're licensed. We worry about college and career and future family. Parents have no shortage of anxiety when it comes to their children, and we work hard to eliminate as much as possible. But there is a difference between hard work and worried work. Working hard, which certainly can involve early mornings and late nights, can be a very noble task. A strong work ethic speaks so well to one's character, but worry-driven 
work. It reveals something else about character. Anxiety is symptomatic of a deeper issue, and at the root of that issue often lies a failure to trust in the Lord. How many of us, I wonder, are overextended and anxious this morning? Ours is a culture that prides itself on busyness. We wear busyness as a badge of honor, thinking the busier we are, the more credibility we have. We stay busy to gain a seat at the table, it seems. And yet Solomon says that God gives to his beloved sleep. Basically, it's a way of reminding us who's in control. Because when you're fast asleep and in full REM, unconscious to the world, God is awake and aware. So yes, the farmer works hard, clearing and plowing and planting, but ultimately, isn't it God who, who grows the crop, who brings the harvest? Because God never slumbers, you can rest in Him. This verse isn't downplaying the value of hard work. It's simply about trusting God with your work, including your work as parents. So again, these first two verses essentially call us to seek and trust the Lord, while verses 3, 4, and 5 apply that exhortation directly to the family. And it's in this second section where we are to receive children as gifts from God, equip children for the mission of God, and thus enjoy the blessings God has for both parents and children along the way. Verse 3 teaches we can trust God with our children because they are gifts from His good hand. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. The word heritage refers to an inheritance, which is a gift. Maybe you've been the recipient of an earthly inheritance. Named an heir in someone's will, you were, by their authority and discretion, gifted something that was theirs to give and yours merely to receive. Well, in like manner, it is the Lord who opens and closes the womb because children are gifts from God. Therefore, let us receive them with gladness and gratitude. And then verse 4. I love verse 4. I love the imagery of verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Don't you love that? It's inspiring. It inspires you to something more, something larger than life, something epic and eternal. And in fact, that's basically what it's getting at. It means that children are to be readied for something beyond themselves, then launched with intent and aim and thus furthering the cause for which they've been prepared. In other words, the parent's primary role is to equip their children for God's mission in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Parents, what is the purpose of the arrow? if not to let it fly. 
But the arrow will never fly until the archer lets it go. Which means exposing our children to God's work in the world, to the spiritual battles that rage therein, and even to the risk and potential danger involved. Now, of course, we don't want to, ex- to introduce too much risk too quickly or at too young of an age, but we must understand that the life of an arrow is not a safe one. When God designs a child to be shot like an arrow, yet we treat that child like a piece of fine china that's only taken out once or twice a year, we essentially stunt his or her development and even unintentionally discourage them from taking part in what God is doing in people's lives and how God intends to involve them in His redemptive work. Are you with me? In his book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, Reggie Joyner notes how the ultimate mission of the family is not to protect your children from all harm, but to mobilize them for the mission of God. He says, it is possible to hold on to our kids so tightly that we forget that the ultimate goal of parenting is to let them go. Many of you know of Jim Elliott. But did you know that in 1950, when Jim Elliott was just 22 years old and had decided to leave the safety of America to take the gospel to live to the, to the jungles of Ecuador, did you know how his parents feared his decision? <coughs> and yet confident that he was, that this decision, <coughs> excuse me, I've got a, a tickle right there. I'm going to try to let that pass. Jim Elliott, 22 years old, decided to leave the safety of America to take the gospel to the jungles of Ecuador, and his parents weren't on board. But he was confident that the decision was from the Lord. And so he wrote his parents a letter to comfort them. And he said the following, citing this exact psalm. He said, remember how the psalmist described children? That they were as a a heritage from the Lord? And that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them? And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? And so, dear mom and dad, with the strong arms of prayer, Draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly. All of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. And they understood. (coughs) One of my five children wants to go into nursing. 
another into vocational ministry. Another hopes to be a teacher. Still another talks about becoming a geologist or a paleontologist. And who knows what Sophia will want and be someday. I don't know exactly how their paths will be directed, but I know my role is to equip them as best I can so that when they're in the middle, so when they're in the medical field, they're on mission for Jesus. When they're in ministry, they're working unto the Lord. When they're teaching, they're advancing God's kingdom. When they're studying rock formations or uncovering dinosaur bones, they're doing so to the glory of God. Parents, we need to ask, why did God give me these kids? They are not given, hear this, they are not given to fulfill or complete you. They're given not to correct your past mistakes or the mistakes of your parents before you. Given not to arrange like trophies on your mantle. They were given by God, ultimately for God, to advance His purposes for them in the world. So please engage them in the mission early. Get them involved in ministry. Take them with you as you minister. Draw the bow with each passing year until, at a time of God's choosing, you let them fly to further His cause. And then finally, verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In those days, the gates of the city served as what we might call the town hall or courthouse. It's where people gathered to decide important matters, a place of influence. The idea here is that when children are brought up in the Lord readied for launch, and then ultimately sent out into the world to pursue God and whatever He has for them, that will be the greatest blessing a parent could possibly imagine. For is there anything of greater value than forming and shaping a young soul over an extended period of time? Because it takes time. What a trust parents are given and what privilege. I believe parenting is the most difficult task in the world and the most meaningful and rewarding. No wonder Solomon imagines a quiver full because he knows that children are not burdens but blessings. I, I'm <coughs> now granted I may be a bit biased because I have five. I'm bothered when our society and even some in the church speak as if children are burdens. They're inconveniences to what I want to do in life. And what God is saying is children are not burdens, they're blessings. So receive them as gifts from God. Equip them to advance the kingdom of God. And enjoy all of God's blessings along the way. And then I have just one final thought before closing. <clears throat> the inscription above this psalm calls it a song of ascents. This is, this is a very small, but I believe a very important detail. 
The 15 songs of ascent, which range from Psalm 120 to, uh, to Psalm 134, are called as much because the city of Jerusalem was situated on a high hill, and as the Jewish people traveled to the city for the annual festivals, they would sing these particular songs as they ascended the hill. They would sing them as songs of worship. And furthermore, according to tradition, the Jewish priests likewise would sing these songs as they ascended the steps of the temple. What, what this does then is place parenting and the building of the family in the context of worship, specifically corporate worship, because Psalms 127 was sung by the entire community of God's people, not just parents, but the entire community of God's people as they worship together. Listen, the care of godly families requires the family of God. Parents and children need to know that the church is critical for their ongoing growth in the Lord. And similarly, the church needs to come alongside parents and children. I can just tell you, as a former youth pastor and now as a parent myself, there is a tremendous and undeniable solidifying effect in a child's heart when he or she sees other significant adults in the church modeling the same faith in God that mom and dad are instilling in the home. So as I said from the start, today's dedication service and this psalm that frames it is not for the Brown and Gayton families only, it's for us all. It applies to us all. You know, we have our children in the service this morning. They've been tremendous. But in talking with Lauren, we decided they need to be part of this. That if on any day, this should be the day that families are together in the church family, Because children need to hear this too. They need to hear and see their fathers and mothers and others in the church respond to God and His Word. They need to know that we believe and trust in the Lord and want to follow Him and His instruction. And I just want to say, kids, it has been great having you. You are a blessing to the church. We love you. We've been praying for you. We're excited about what God is doing in your lives, what God has in store for you, and we long that you trust and follow Him, that you know God as Father and the Lord Jesus Christ being led by the Holy Spirit all your days. And so I just want to say, church, as we come to a close, can we stand together? Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Will you stand as a way of saying that you stand for the family and for the family of God. I want mothers and fathers to hold hands, to stand together as parents. I want them to hold hands with their daughters and sons, even their adult daughters and sons, to stand as a family. I want the church to stand in solidarity, and I want us to pray. Father, we thank you for for these families that are represented here in this room. We thank you for the great family that is the family of God that extends beyond this room and really 
to the far reaches of the world. We thank you for the gift of family. We thank you for the, uh, for the, the privilege that is parenting. We thank you for parents and grandparents. We thank you for the gift of children and grandchildren. And we'd ask and seek your blessing this morning upon everyone here. We'd ask that you would uh, cause us and encourage us. Lord, the work can be hard. The work in the home and the work in the church and the blending of home and church and the balancing of schedules can be challenging. And so we just would ask for your help this morning. And we pray that here at this church and in churches across this region, that we would be unashamed in standing for the family and in seeing young people from the youngest to the oldest grow in their faith to the glory of your name. And for our eternal good, we pray. Amen.